Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Doing great. I bought a rug this morning. Nice. Really ties the room together. <laughs> got it. You got to do it sometimes, man. So today I'd like to start with an apology to everybody. <laughs> Because we've just been limiting ourselves to games that do exist. <laughs> and that's bullshit. I mean, there's so many games that don't exist. And so today I thought we'd talk about a few of those. Yes. In the interest of science. I mean, if nothing else, we're more of a sort of research science kind of show. So I thought that might just help flesh it out. Sure. Yeah. So before we get too deep in all this data... A uh, couple reminders, as always, this episode is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to help sign up to support the show. And zero brightness is a club you can play or not play, as it were, the games along with us. Yes. Uh, and you can jump in the discord and talk to us about how you feel about anything, really. Also, we made t-shirts. We made t-shirts. Zerobrightness.com. Pick one up. You like Symphony of the Night. Like, who doesn't like Symphony of the Night? Yeah. Like, even for a couple of pro-level hot takers like us, (laughs) that's like a a nutso hot take. You know you want it. It's just like a cool heavy metal t-shirt. Just buy the damn thing already. Yeah. Give us money for cool things. (laughs) That's how capitalism works. Yeah. We make cool shit. You give money. Yeah, and the budget for this episode in particular was just enormous, Mm -hmm. you know. The consultation fees? Oh, my God. I have to take therapy for PTSD. Outrageous. Yep. So, all right, today we're talking about games that don't exist. (laughs) And I guess I started thinking about this topic in the last few years because at some point, spooky games went super meta. (laughs) (laughs) And if you heard about a new spooky game, it was like 50-50 if it was an actual video game or like some weird sort of internet thing that you couldn't actually play. Thank you again to the internet. (laughs) Thanks, internet. This episode is dedicated to the internet. (laughs) So, you know, at some point, two forms uh, rose up to really... Uh, usher in this new era Mm. and the first one is of course creepypastas right creepypastas being just scary stories that people would share on the internet originally it was kind of diffuse all over the internet but at some point someone started a subreddit called no sleep Mm -hmm. which we've talked about before on the show they sort of served as a central hub for creepypastas people could post stories there and you know interact with each other it kind of had a a meta aspect to it um the in the rules of the subreddit it's uh assumed that all the stories are real and you're supposed to interact with the writers as if the stories are real Mm. so sometimes the comment uh, sections can like become their own stories you know sure yeah but a lot of the stuff we're talking about actually comes from before uh, No Sleep was really established. So mm. kind of came from just all around the internet and various places, which we'll talk about as we go on. Mm-hmm. Another big thing was the rise of YouTube horror. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little more later. But YouTube became a really 
big hub for horror, both in people making scary videos and scary miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, and also in people kind of doing informational or like recap videos. So, sure. like people just reading creepypastas or people talking about whether or not certain things were real or not. And all of this like YouTube content creation stuff kind of broke open a whole new genre. Oh, totally. Even things like Alan tutorial, Alan fucking tutorial. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Go down that rabbit hole gamers. Yeah. So there's this, cr- I was just thinking of that. There's this crazy like mini series somebody made called Alan tutorial <laughs> and it starts off with just as like this really weird guy giving you a quote unquote tutorial mm-hmm. on how to do just like very basic tasks. Yeah. He's kind of like a man baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's very twisted and weird, but as it goes on, it actually turns into like a really scary uh, horror thing. Absolutely terrifying. It's like implied that he's like kidnapped and like kept in a small room for who knows how long. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there was another really similar one that I liked a lot that I can't remember what it was called. Um, hopefully it comes to me. But it was about this, like, young girl who's, like, imprisoned in her house. And she has this weird, like, creature friend that she grows throughout the series. Mm. Um, it's really well done. And it was, like, heavily influenced by Alan Tutorial. Interesting. But yeah, so this YouTube horror stuff kind of went off in a lot of different directions, and it has actually really intersected with the whole spooky games thing, Mm. even. I mean, a lot of the, like, uh, most notable, like, breakout sensations in horror games uh, owe a lot to these YouTube creators talking about the games, making videos about the games, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of made this whole new type of horror for better or for worse like there's sure. definitely games coming out that are just like youtube bait like that hello neighbor game yeah well there's things like slender man and yeah um, five nights at freddy's things like that yeah totally uh side note the youtube channel that has the series i was just thinking of is called daisy brown mm so look up Daisy Brown. That's a great series. I'd say it's as good as Alan Tutorial. It's great. Nice. But yeah, so it's it's really become like a part of the culture of horror games, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. the whole YouTube horror uh, culture. Totally. Yeah. So in terms of the stuff we're talking about today, uh, we're basically talking about some of these stories that involve video games. Um, the ones that I've highlighted all have like a multimedia component. Um, which is really cool. I mean, like I said, I think the basic idea of creepypastas or creepy stories is that it's supposed to be real. Mm -hmm. And in the case of all these, people actually started to think they were real because they actually made some pretty convincing like multimedia stuff. Mm -hmm. And all of them are kind of just recycling tropes and visuals and ideas from old games in new ways. Uh, a lot of the horror is just stemming from stuff that creeped us out about video games when we were kids. And I think that's why it's so effective, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, so, something like the haunted Zelda card, like, come on, like who wasn't up at like three in the morning playing Zelda and getting scared at like the creatures in the graveyard, you know? 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and a lot of it too comes from not just like low res visuals and stuff, but also glitches. Yeah. And I think there's kind of that particular horror of like the first time when you're a kid, when you're playing like a 3D game, you just like glitch into nothing or glitch into like a developer room or something. Yeah. Well, it was even a thing when I was a kid, just like just tapping the side of the cart to make it glitch out. Like, yeah, that was a fun thing for Nintendo 64 games. Yeah, you could turn that N64 on its side while you're playing Mario 64 and make it freak out. <laughs> yeah. I used to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and also like kind of hearkening back to the era of the early internet where mm. things were just more mysterious uh, and also more shitty and ramshackle on a tech totally. aspect. Like yeah. Stuff like chat rooms and chat bots is going to come up a lot in the stuff that we're talking about. Mm. And just like fucked up websites in general yep yeah yeah like even nowadays i think if you find someone who's made like a website that's supposed to be weird and creepy a lot of times it looks like it's from 1998 yeah another big thing in here is kind of the power of suggestion and reality everything Mm. we're talking about has a component of people thinking it's real being convinced it's real and that's all part of the power of these stories is that they draw from real life and they draw from you know things that are relatable so at least somebody was like oh my god petscop is real you know oh yeah totally and it's almost Uh, it's so familiar in the way it looks like mm -hmm. it's just so convincing that it could just be like a game that everyone forgot about or like some lost prototype you know yeah exactly and that aspect of it makes a lot of the more benign stuff seem really creepy yeah so I definitely, if you like some of the stories we're talking about, I mean, th- we're not talking about a ton of stuff today either. So this could even be part one. I mean, if you have suggestions for us to look into or things you think we would like, I mean, send them our way. But sure. I definitely suggest looking up some of the stuff, reading the stories or doing your own research because as part of the fun of it is just spooking yourself out late at night, like reading this shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Also, this is your fair warning, content warning. Um, this is stuff that the internet made. So there's, of course, tons of mentions of child abuse, a child death, and suicide. Um, I didn't make them this way. This is just how the internet is. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to um, the internet. It's. It was funny when I started compiling all stuff. I was like, Jesus Christ, you guys, come on, <laughs> this is this is what you like. Jesus, get it together. Lay off the Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yeah, dude, we're not all mechanical animals in the dope shit. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to go back and begin by talking about a couple of things that were actual urban legends, mm-hmm. things that we may have or definitely did hear about, like as kids or as teenagers, right? right. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of the OG of this stuff is Polybius. <laughs> so scary. Yeah. So Polybius uh, is actually an urban legend that is said to be like an old style arcade cabinet. Nobody ever really says what it is, but it kind of seems it's something has like vector graphics mm-hmm. and a lot of flashing lights and colors, sort of like the old Star Wars arcade game. Sure. Yeah. Somebody did actually make like a Polybius prototype, quote unquote, like and put it online. And it actually looked a lot like a Geometry Wars. Nice. If you remember that like Xbox game. Yeah. But yeah, so the urban legend is that the government created Polybius as an experiment in some sort of mind control or like uh, 
sort of like psychoactive testing on teenagers mm-hmm. mk ultra 64 yeah it was basically like mk ultra the video game yeah and you know basically people said that in the pacific northwest men in black would show up at locations and unload this arcade cabinet and then teenagers would play it and basically start like tripping and freaking out and dying <laughs> awesome and it actually spread so organically and so widely that a lot of people would just kind of repeat this as a fact. I would say it wasn't until almost a decade after the rumor first started. It's supposedly as a forum post on like a coin op website mm. uh, around 2000. And it wasn't even until a decade later that people were actually talking about it as like, this is definitely like fake, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but yeah it spread really widely through culture through a lot of reporting from like websites and publications you can find a lot of inks spilled about polybius uh more recently people started incorporating it visually into things there's games that come with like an extra little like polybius game hidden in it mm, uh yeah. there's a nine inch nails video nine inch nails comes up like every episode do you notice that <laughs> side note um I don't know. I guess we love Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails and the movie Seven, which is music by Nine Inch Nails. Does it actually? Yeah. I mean, the opening credits have, you get me closer to God. Oh, shit. That's hilarious. Now I really need to go watch that movie again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Nine Inch Nails did a music video where the visuals are all Polybius themed. Wow. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I like this legend because it's it's kind of uh, it kind of calls forward to how all of these stories would start to spread, which is just in a really organic way and in a way that's just all about suggestion and word of mouth. And it's such a great name too. Like it sounds like an Atari game, you know? Yeah, totally. Love Polybius. <laughs> great game. But it's also, it's funny too, because there aren't a lot of like modern creepypasta reinterpretations or anything about it, because it's just, it's such a classic and it's so solid. Yeah, totally. Well, some, the next thing we'll talk about, it kind of became a trope within like creepypasta and like internet horror to to talk about uh, this next thing. Right. This one was one I was not familiar with. So yeah, I was a little too old for pokemon to ever really be interested in pokemon and it feels like i missed that craze but this is a pretty cool story yeah okay so the next thing is the lavender town syndrome which i guess here it's sort of the the game that doesn't exist is kind of like a cursed version of pokemon claiming to be like the first version of pokemon Mm mm-hmm and it's pretty clear where this came from because the original Pokemon, which was red and blue, uh, it was a weird, mysterious game. Like, you could glitch and get this weird glitch Pokemon that would crash your game. Mm-hmm. There were tons of rumors about being able to find uh, certain monsters in the game that you couldn't actually find. It was like peak Game Shark era, so people were basically <laughs> hacking their games to do weird shit. And also at the time, of course, there's the infamous, infamous incident in Japan where an episode of the Pokemon cartoon actually Mm. triggered epileptic seizures in kids watching the show. Right. Which is like really fucked up. But 
what was interesting is that they obviously like scrubbed that episode and it never aired i don't think it aired outside of japan but the stature of that legend was just huge it was like pokemon was just like cursed at some point (laughs) so that's where this okay so this rumor i don't know exactly when it cropped up but it feels like it's been around for a long time although i can't verify that but at some point people started to say that there's a town called lavender town and the music that plays there has these weird high frequencies that will like make you sick slash suicidal. <laughs> wow. And it's funny because when you go and actually listen to the original music of this game, which actually was patched out later, you can hear that the reason it was patched clearly is because it's terrifying. Like, <laughs> it's this very creepy, off-putting, sad music. It is a creepy, off-putting, sad place in the game. Mm. And the music is just horrifying. <laughs> And it, it really hits on something in Pokemon where it was like such a such a bizarre game because it's like kid friendly, but it's also kind of dark at points, and you're basically just like dog fighting the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Which is like kind of fucked up. Yeah, it's cockfighting. It's also interesting too because this is a big, like, enduring myth just in our culture that you can put higher low frequencies in music that will like make people sick or make people have some sort of violent reaction mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Um there's like a flaming lip song where they tried it <laughs> it's on the Zyrica album perfect and if you listen to it it is like very uncomfortable it's just like the music in lavender town where it just kind of makes your skin crawl a bit you do need four cd players though uh yeah exactly so <laughs> nobody's fucking heard it <laughs> i'm trying to make cds cool again though. well i just picked up my cd player listening to cds I love CDs. Yeah. CDs are tight. Yeah. I have a CD player at home. I have a CD player in my PT Cruiser. Love CDs. <laughs> Problem is people don't have stereos in their living room anymore. You know? Yeah. Got to bring that back. We need to make stereos cool again. Yeah. That's the thing that's got to come back. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I I love this rumor because it just taps into that like primordial fear that like somebody can yeah make you a cd that's gonna make you throw up and kill yourself (laughs) yeah it's mk ultra af yeah i'm seeing a theme here yeah well yeah it's a big thing people are scared of it and this one has really really endured in creepypastas and youtube horror videos like the whole lavender town thing just refuses to die which is kind of cool um I think it is weird and creepy and cool. <laughs> let us know if you have any violent reactions to this segment, gamers. Yeah, let us know if Lavender Town made you stab your brother or something. <laughs> I mean, it's also like a lot of this stuff is really just getting at, once again, kind of like things from the past that feel like of a bygone era. Like mm. Pokemon Mania was sure. like fucking nuts like in 1999 2000 kind of era and like yeah we were just all on the fucking playground like trading pokemon cards and like battling each other in the game and it was just all encompassing and it really felt like we're being mind controlled by nintendo or some shit so (laughs) perfect yeah so this rumor just like fits right in i love it checks out (laughs) 
<laughs> checks out for sure. Well, speaking of fucked up Nintendo shit. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite creepy bosses is about the haunted Zelda cart from, uh, what is it, Majora's Mask? Yep. It's just a great story where, you know, you get a game used from a garage sale and you plug it in and someone else's save is on it. And if you're like me, the first thing you do is erase that save and start over. But uh, this is about a haunted save state. Yeah, exactly. So the name of the story is Ben Drowned. It's kind of an obtuse reference because it does, those words don't really appear in the story. Mm. But I think it. we'll talk about it, but it eventually kind of expanded out. Uh, and I, I don't know, that's what people were calling it. But... To me, this is like the OG gaming creepypasta <laughs> and what really kicked off a lot of what we see now in terms of like things we're talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so this story actually started out as basically blog posts to the X paranormal subreddit. Um, and this guy was just kind of like talking about his experiences once again kind of calls back to the earlier days of reddit when things were a little bit more unregulated i Mm. think nowadays this would definitely be in the no sleep subreddit because x is supposed to be real shit Mm. and this was a hundred percent just a creepypasta yeah but it's it's cool it's well written in the sense that it's very believable it's just a blog Mm -hmm. the dude does not break character or you know kind of like write too much you know and there's screenshots yeah and it has a really well he made videos too oh yeah nice there's like screenshots and videos and just a bunch of multimedia shit but yeah it's basically about this dude he goes to a yard sale at a very creepy old man's house (laughs) and he gets a cursed copy of Majora's Mask that's in like an unmarked blank cart mmm and yeah he opens up the save on it and the game just starts going nuts and showing him all this really weird and creepy stuff the game feels empty it's very eerie and quiet the game kind of remixes some of the text in the game uh almost like a ransom note where it's stringing together lines to like communicate with the player and say really creepy (laughs) shit uh, and there's a statue of Link, which you can create by playing one of the songs in the game and use it to solve puzzles, but it follows him around like the angel statues in Doctor Who that get closer when you don't look at them. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, the really cool thing was that the dude made videos that have like glitched visuals, jump scares, a lot of reversed music, and just really, they're really fucking creepy, dude. Like, <laughs> they're really, really well done. And I think ultimately it's it's really cool because it uh, plays on those fears we were talking about earlier. Like the first time you encounter a glitch in the game that like lets you go into a new area mm. and you're just like, what is this? <laughs> I think this creepypasta also kind of hints towards the future of this type of storytelling in the sense that it like really ended with a whimper. Um, Mm. the dude really tried to expand it out into this whole crazy story and then tried to turn it into like a multimedia ARG and just totally died because it's like ain't nobody got time for that (laughs) yeah it would be cool to see like um, 
like copies of the haunted cart come out like someone actually program it onto a 64 cart that you could play oh yeah like a really just broken majora's mask that would be cool oh yeah yeah i mean this one was really cool because it, it's so tied to reality you know because you know everybody's familiar with buying a game secondhand and having other strangers save games on their cart and i think too in the early stages of the story it's all really plausible stuff Mm -hmm. that is just straight up creepy and like the way it's like the story was written around what they could do in the videos like the videos just kind of use like weird editing and Mm. some glitches and they also like use the names of save files to like communicate you know with the viewer and stuff like that it's all really really simple and effective i think eventually it gets into this whole storyline about like uh talking to cleverbot which was like an Mm. old chat bot that you could talk to on the internet and it would hold a conversation with you do you remember this I do not remember Cleverbot, no. Yeah, so it was like a like an AI chatbot that you're supposed to be able to hold a conversation with. And it was usually pretty funny because it was really bad. But this is like total like early internet time waster thing. You know, like chat like a proto chat roulette or something. Oh hey, it's still up. Cleverbot is? Yeah, hell yeah. Nice. I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna meet a friend later. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like there's like the entity that's in the game starts speaking to the author through mm, clever bot and that's cool yeah all this great like early internet stuff um it's really good like i said it does unfortunately kind of peter out because they tried to turn it into an arg and everyone was like why though w- what do you mean by arg ah so args are alternate reality games Ah, uh, yes um ARGs came to prominence mostly for marketing reasons. It was mm. a big trend in the mid-2000s to the early 2010s to market stuff using uh, ARGs. Like, the most famous one was I Love Bees. Do you remember I Love Bees? I do not, no. So, uh, basically, I think it was one of the early trailers for Halo 2, uh, mm, when it was okay. it was screened in movie theaters and people noticed that right at the end for a split second it flashes a domain name that says ilovebees.com <laughs> and so people went to it and it was this weird website that was like a little girl who was trying to start a bee colony hmm. and then slowly over the next few weeks it like transformed into this weird creepy blog that was just like all nonsense and really crazy shit and eventually it just turned into like a countdown timer and it started giving people phone numbers and people actually had to go to like specific phone booths and go get phone calls Mm, (laughs) and like relay messages and basically do all this crazy stuff so that they could go and like play an early version of halo 2 or something (laughs) uh and it was really effective like it really got people hyped up for halo 2 and people are like wow this is like brilliant marketing blah 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 so in the decade following that args became a really big business like when new games or new movies were coming out there was a lot of like args used to market them Mm -hmm. um a lot of people point to like the sort of the way that blair witch was marketed 
the original film, uh, Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. as kind of like an early example of an ARG. And I think there maybe even was an ARG tied to that movie. I, I think um, you might be right, yeah. Yeah, but in later years, it became more of like a fan and hobbyist thing. Like people would start creepypastas and then create their own ARGs, just kind of like low-level internet scavenger hunts. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. I think at this point it's kind of played out and it also takes a lot of resources to properly like run it, you know? Sure. And I mean, if it gets too big, it's just like a bunch of like nerds, like scouring some like park in some town. you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. But there are some really cool ones too that kind of, I think they're still sort of like unsolved mysteries. Like there's one called, uh, I think it's called Cicada 2237. Hmm. And it was basically just like a series of really, really increasingly difficult uh, coding and logic puzzles. Mm. And nobody really knows what they're for because the winners don't talk about it. And they'll just say like, oh, okay, somebody won. We're closing it. And for a long time, people thought it was like some sort of recruitment tool for something. But it also could just be bored nerds, you know? (laughs) It sounds like a season two of the OA. (laughs) Yeah. And the less said about that, the better. (laughs) Uh, They also did that in that movie from the 80s, The Last Starfighter, where they put a game in a gas station. It was like an intergalactic army uh, recruitment tool. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, real talk, the... So if you haven't seen season two of the OA, there's like a plot line about these kids who are playing an ARG in order to access like a secret organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that was heavily influenced by Cicada 2237. Okay. Yeah. Because it is like kind of a recruitment thing in that show, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so if you've seen that, that's basically what an ARG is. It's a cool concept, and I really like reading about this stuff later, but a lot of it is either just dumb, or it peters out and they don't finish it, or it's just marketing for something. Mm. Uh, actually, it's kind of we'll talk about that a little bit in the last game that we have on the list, because a lot of people when that came out were like, this is definitely an ARG slash marketing for something, mm. and then it wasn't, and that was even weirder, actually. <laughs> I think marketing just ruins everything, you know? Yeah. Look what it did to sure. rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. They did kill heavy metal with marketing. Dead. <laughs> the first time I heard blast beats in a car commercial. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't think I've ever heard blast beats in a car commercial. But it's coming. No, but Toyota did do that Scion Fest that was all like metal bands. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That actually worked. Scion Records. Yeah. Napalm Death on the new Scion Records label. Dude, the only people who still drive Scions are guys with beards down to their belt buckles, so it fucking worked. Okay. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. All right. So next is sort of a personal favorite of mine that I wasn't sure if it was actually a big deal until I did the research for this episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, people are like, this thing rules. I was like, (laughs) hell yeah. 
So this one is referred to as Godzilla NES. Mm. And essentially, this is a very long and image-heavy story uh, about a creepy-slash-glitched version of a Godzilla game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it includes weird monsters, creepy environments, and fourth-wall-breaking meta-conversations. Nice. Low-key, all the Godzilla games for the NES absolutely fucking suck. Every single one yeah. of them. Yeah, totally. So this is probably the best Godzilla NES game, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so the cool thing about this story is that, like I mentioned, it's very image-heavy. And so they just made a ton of different like fake screenshots and images. And a lot of them use like new monsters that they designed for this story. And they're really, really weird and creepy. <laughs> yeah. They also like made up new environments, like levels that are made of eyeballs and levels that are just like hellish with black backgrounds and, you know, flames everywhere. There's a lot uh, of flames involved. Yeah there's a lot of flames um it's cool too there's like so the narrator is like someone who is just obsessed with godzilla when they were a kid and mm-hmm. so they're like there are monsters that are in the game that wouldn't have been around at that time and there's all sorts of other like weird stuff that plays into it like um this is really weird and scary and creepy mm-hmm. uh the game frequently gives them directions like it'll just say like run or it'll just say get out and I don't know. It's just like really, really cool. Um, I think it really plays on that sense of dread that 8-bit games could create with not a lot, you know? Well, it's interesting because it's such a benign game, you know? Like a little Godzilla strategy fighting game. Exactly. And I, I think that too, like we've talked about it before on the show, I mean, a lot of people's first... Uh, experience with being scared by a game was by something that was not a horror game i think it calls back to like uh yeah the smurfs game on ColecoVision where the <laughs> levels were just like really dark and minimalist and they had some of them had scary music you know yeah i mean like i said earlier like the like in uh the zelda 64 mm-hmm. the uh the graveyard was freaky as fuck you know the zombie oh, yeah. guys yeah yeah totally well but even way before that i remember a lot of people have talked about the original zelda like the dungeon music being really scary mm, yeah for sure and it's these black like, kind of dark monochrome levels with this creepy music playing like there's a whole generation of kids traumatized by the original legend of zelda <laughs> i thought uh gauntlet was kind of freaky when i was a kid oh yeah totally yeah. All that dark fantasy stuff, like, just scary shit, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. So I think Godzilla NES is, I mean, it's a great story. It's really long and it's really well done. Uh, and it definitely plays on those fears. So if you remember being scared by the Nintendo Entertainment System, you got to <laughs> read this one. I was scared because I could never get the damn thing to work. <laughs> Every NES from my childhood was like, one of those ones that you had to like wiggle the cart and pull it out and plug it back in but don't plug it in all the way and then push it down and then pull it out a little bit and then turn it on six times upside down yeah yeah (laughs) 
I mean, I didn't know anybody who didn't have an NES like that. Oh, is is that just par for the course? Yeah. I wasn't well, cursed. You, no, they were all like that. Because the, okay, so the Japanese design was just a simple top-loading thing. Yeah. Worked great. And then for the American one, I don't, I think they changed it so that it would look more like a VCR. Yes. So that mm-hmm. people would buy it and put it in their entertainment like console mm-hmm. thing next to their VCR and under their tuner and blah 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 and in doing so they added a mechanism that just it added way too many fucking moving parts yeah like springs and trays and all that shit as an adult when I became a nerd uh, I hardwired the uh, there's like a springy connector I just like opened it up and like soldered a new ribbon cable to it yeah. So, so my NES, you, you you can't push the games down. It just works. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and they also added more, uh, like, write protection on the American NES. Or, well, mm-hmm. I guess it's just the NES, because the Japanese one is the Famicom. Uh, yeah, they just added too many moving parts, too much write protection. It's really a, a pretty horrendous system. Looks like, like the Famicom had the... Uh, controllers hardwired in though yeah yeah which is crazy yeah listen things were pretty bad like (laughs) (laughs) this was an improvement i guess sega master system got it right i'll tell you what you know what was really bomb with the nes was the cables on those controllers were super long yeah like 30 feet long (laughs) yeah the sega genesis cables were like like not even a foot (laughs) yeah they're trying to sell you those extension cables yeah you basically had to sit with the console in your lap it's fucking ridiculous bastards bastards the real survival horror was trying to play the Sega Genesis while not getting eye strain (laughs) fail (laughs) so okay the next couple things we're going to talk about you sort of have to preface it by talking about the dawn of the YouTube era. Mm, of course. Which is essentially as creepypastas and internet horror just exploded in popularity, which it did around this time, um, YouTube became a central hub for info on these sorts of horror stories and discussion about them. Tons of people started doing like dramatic readings of creepypastas all of which are terrible and just so embarrassing oh thank you (laughs) but people also started like commentary channels uh Mm -hmm. that they would basically research some of this creepy internet shit make informational videos on them and like you know other internet horror phenomena these are mostly terrible i'll say uh there is one channel i like that i've shouted out before called Rainbot. it's r-e-i-g-n-b-o-t uh that channel's pretty good uh the person who makes it is actually pretty funny and like has a pretty good sense about this stuff but the other ones are just so like over dramatic and like ridiculous like i think the most popular one is called nexpo and dude that dude just makes me want to hurl But the creation of all these channels and all of this content basically made an environment in which people could step in and start doing like video art projects that were also like horror games, you know? Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's 
how the genre evolved. The genre of games that don't exist evolved from just like <laughs> creepy pastas with screenshots and stuff like that into actual full on videos because people were now looking to YouTube and video hosting sites for stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. So the first big one in that style that I saw that I also was like super weirdly obsessed with was called Sad Satan. Of course. Now I've had some firsthand experience with this one. I heard yes. it was like a spooky game, so I downloaded it and played it. Uh, I didn't really know anything about the, the history or anything around it. Right. But it's basically like the most abstract walking simulator ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of a cheat because it is a real game, but yeah. it's not much of a game. And for reasons we'll talk about later, you were kind of better off not downloading it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking play it. <laughs> it became infamous as the quote unquote deep web horror game. Uh, it because people found out about it due to a YouTube channel that posted some videos of gameplay and in the description we're like I just got this off of some unknown tour link ooh the deep <laughs> web but it was like perfect timing because people were just starting to become aware of and curious about the deep web but mm. I mean self included I like didn't really know what it was like I just thought it was like a chat room where people sold heroin and did human trafficking <laughs> which I think is kind of accurate but Sure. Oh, and, and libertarians. Yeah. Like libertarian dating sites. Yeah, like libertarian junkies who want to human traffic and maybe fall in love. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking that's... I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so then out of nowhere, this deep web horror game uh, pops up and people are buzzing about it. Mm-hmm. So it originally was popularized by a series of YouTube videos showing different sections of the game. I think it totaled about like an hour. You could watch someone play through it. Mm -hmm. It's a high contrast, super creepy looking walking sim. To me, it's like the video game equivalent of listening to Mersbo. Yeah, totally. It was black and white, just like fucked up looking textures on really simple backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a nonsense progression system. It seemed like they would just be walking around and then suddenly they'd be somewhere else. You yeah. know, yeah. it wasn't like you were solving puzzles or really doing anything. I think the biggest besides the the high contrasty black and white visuals, the most striking thing was the sound design, which the name is a direct reference to. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not familiar, in the 70s, there was a whole like backmasking controversy where people thought rock bands were hiding evil messages in records that you could hear if you played it backwards. <laughs> um, Judas Priest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Stairway to Heaven was like, one of the big offenders there was also like a black sabbath song and some other stuff but uh in stairway to heaven apparently if you play it backwards it sounds like he's saying my sweet sad satan nice yeah you know whatever you can look it up it's all just like horse shit but i wish it was real (laughs) yeah yeah totally (laughs) these like idiotic 70s christians didn't realize that they were coming up with something way cooler than any of these dorky (laughs) white british dudes were doing it's like the original creepypastas satanic panic (laughs) yeah 
exactly um but yeah so that's what the game is named after and as you play the game you hear tons of reversed voice clips Mm. and sounds you hear the aforementioned led zeppelin clip you hear number stations and uh, a chinese propaganda tune that they stuck in there nice like it was really well curated creepy stuff nice well-rounded experience yeah um now less tasteful was the fact that random images would pop up as you were playing the game uh it was definitely creepy and jarring but it was mostly of like serial killers and stuff like crime scene photos and Mm. stuff um very very tasteless and edgelordy but you know it's hard to deny that it was like effectively creepy like when it would pop up you'd be like oh my god well i mean if you're gonna try to brainwash someone you, you have to dehumanize things right yeah exactly um yeah it it was like a weird tactic that also became one of the hallmarks of the game um now there also were multiple versions of this game Mm. so you could actually download and play the game but and there was like a clean download that just had the stuff that was in the demo but I don't know, either just by the law of the internet or by the power of suggestion, because people were worried about deep web trolls and stuff, there were versions that were going around that had like really, really horrible gore in them and like underage porn and all this fucked up shit that oh, would wow. like pop up when you played the game. And, like, obviously, that's like super fucking horrible Jesus. and disgusting. The other things that people were claiming, and once again, nobody knows if this is real or if this is like more people just trying to like pump up the creepy pasta element. They were claiming that they would get viruses that would trash their computer when they downloaded it. Wow. Which all sounds plausible, you hmm. know. But yeah, so it kind of like stopped it dead in its tracks because nobody wanted to fucking talk about it after that or Jeez. fuck with it at yeah. all. But you didn't like you didn't have anything weird, right? Like, what was no, it like when you I downloaded mean, I, it? It was just like a demo off of like a pretty official looking website. I mean, I, I had no idea there were like modded versions out there. And yeah, I mean, it was just like a creepy like walking down corridors while listening to ambient noise with like crazy visual filters all over it and creepy voices. Um, I didn't. It's. I mean, it's not a very remarkable gameplay experience or anything. Yeah, like I probably played it for like less than ten minutes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I definitely watched more of the videos than that, and they were cool and compelling. Like the mm. visuals are the coolest thing, and the sound design is the coolest thing about the game. And yeah, you get some spooks. Watch those YouTube videos, man. Yeah, I think it's it's cool too, though. Like just the suggestion that you know someone could make a walking sim like this that doesn't need to exist and it's just there to like creep people out maybe try and brainwash you once again i think it's really a lot of fears of people being brainwashed (laughs) yeah yeah this is a recurring theme here for for sure so okay the last game on our list is probably like the most fleshed out and craziest of all of these Mm -hmm. and also probably the most popular yeah I mean, this is a uh, high-effort experience. Oh, yeah. Totally. So, we're, of course, talking about Petscop, the real fake game that you 100% cannot play. <laughs> it's one of the... I mean, it's the one on the list I wish I could play. Yeah. Totally. So, Petscop was 
a series of YouTube videos that just totally captivated the internet. Like, it came out of nowhere. People immediately got obsessed with it. And it just started this whole phenomenon. The videos themselves are initially presented as kind of an awkward let's play mm-hmm. with this like weird teenager talking at random intervals while he plays this game. And the game is like a PS1 game that's like a kid's game with these really rudimentary visuals and like. It's kind of like dumb music and sound effects. It's like 2D sprites on a 3D background, and it kind of looks like a 2.5D RPG. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Like uh, Parappa meets Brave Fencer Musashi. Meets Earthbound. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. And so it's like a weird kid's game where you walk around collecting things called pets and they sort of look like shitty pokemon (laughs) yeah like they're little creatures but they all look like they could have been drawn by a kid in crayon and the description of the first video is kind of the start of the arg component that's really strong in this game um basically in the channel description the video description they were hiding clues as to what's going on because there's like a meta narrative to the whole thing Mm. which is basically that the narrator of the original run of videos claims that like a creepy older relative basically gave him the game on a burned disc (laughs) with special instructions on how to access this hidden content and then disappeared what yeah so pretty quickly the game he accesses like an under layer of the game and it's like this creepy super dark subterranean environment that's like full of even more just like weird scary imagery the sort of pets in the game are all just like these weird depressed kids it's very fucked up and sad the thing about it though is that it's just so believable as a ps1 game Oh, yeah. You're watching it, and everything looks so authentically PS1 that there's no, like, red flags. Like, oh, this game is so fake. Like, the UI is really unified. Everything looks authentic, just 100% authentic. Yeah, totally. Even, like, there's certain puzzles in the game or certain things that you're supposed to interact with that you see him do in these videos, and it's janky in the right way Mm -hmm. and like it's kind of slow and cumbersome in just the right way uh there's a lot of obvious edits that are supposed to suggest like oh i've been doing this for like two hours (laughs) yeah right you know it's really really well designed and you know like you said it's very high effort clearly like they made this and then made videos of this like an animation but it's like the way that the character moves around it's exactly like someone's controlling it it's it's all very very believable even the art design and everything is just it it looks like a late 90s game yeah like er everything's era appropriate yeah exactly um so there's also clearly a lot of design that went into the story itself and I'm going to say, as a disclaimer here, I'm not an expert on this. This story is fucking nuts. I don't think anybody really gets exactly 
what's going on in this game. But, and if you want, you can go to the subreddit and read the document where they compiled all of their research. And it's like totally nuts. Wow. You know, it's just like pages and pages and pages of <laughs> speculation and research and facts. And it's nuts. Um, the game did pretty recently end and the creator identified himself and was like, yeah, it's just a weird video series. There's no <laughs> playable version. Like really? Just, yeah. Wow. Um, I wonder how he animated it all. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's, he's talked about that much, but he has done like little, he's been tweeting and doing, I think he did one short interview. He put the soundtrack on Bandcamp, and then Bandcamp did like an article on him. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was something I read the other day. It was, like, kind of cool. He's probably going to start working uh, at Adult Swim or something. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's what Alan Tutorial did. Yeah, well, yeah. it's got the same vibe as that stuff or that, like, stock footage of a bear or too many cooks. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, any of those videos that start out as something really benign and then just get weirder and weirder and weirder as they go along. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so one thing that's kind of cool is as the story goes along the two the narrative and the meta narrative start to like converge and the game seems to be abstractly depicting the story of like a really dysfunctional family Mm. there's like certain events that you see depicted or certain themes that recur there's like kids with severe anxiety and depression there's a weird storyline about like a kid who whose eyebrows fall out because they get too stressed. Wow. Uh, there's like imagery about children either being like kidnapped or groomed. It's really weird and disturbing, but it's also very vague. Hmm. Uh, there's also like an older story that someone dug up that the author of these videos wrote, and it's very weird and disturbing. Um, suicide is a big theme. Um, there's like some of that is like once again abstractly depicted but in the game's weird and cutesy way and it's super disturbing um holidays and birthday parties are a major like recurring theme and image uh, a lot of it takes place in a school and it's kind mm-hmm. of like feelings of inadequacy like you know kids feeling dumb or like they're not good enough it's like stuff that kind of just like hits you in a weird place because you're like ugh, i remember that there's also kind of it was kind of a weird controversy that it referenced a real child who died during a rebirthing ceremony wow which was kind of a controversial practice that was around in the 70s there's actually kind of a similar plot line in the movie and book audrey rose if you're Mm. familiar with that um i love that movie it's very strange isn't rebirthing uh, when they uh you have like a problem kid that you can't control them they do like a rebirthing thing yeah they sort of like simulate childbirth with weird props and it's very weird new agey but so uh, there was yeah there was a kid who actually died like in one of these ceremonies yeah. um the author of petscop though later apologized and he was like yeah sorry that was tasteless and i didn't mm. want to have people like googling that but i also don't think he thought it would be as big as deal as it was interesting yeah and you know like i mentioned this spawned like a huge following of people who were trying to solve the mystery and following what was going on that subreddit was like just totally bananas for like a year you know (laughs) yeah ultimately i think pat's cop was really cool the combination of like the themes and the ps1 visual style were like legitimately 
creepy. Yeah, I need to dig more into it. I know when Kotaku ran an article about it, I guess when during the earlier portions of the Petscop craze. Mm-hmm. I kind of dug in it then, and it was really interesting. But now that it's over, I'd be interested in looking back at it. Because it's fun to watch, I mean, like, all the Alan tutorial stuff. It's fun to watch it all in a row now, just to see how it happened. But yeah, the Alan tutorial stuff, I mean, when it was happening in real time, it must have felt a lot different, you know? Yeah. Totally. I mean, I watched these videos as they were coming out and it was always like so strange because Mm. sometimes they would introduce something that was like a major plot twist and you'd be like, oh my God, what the fuck? But then other times, especially towards the end, some of them are so weird and abstract that you're like, what did I just fucking look at? Yeah. (laughs) And that's like kind of a cool feeling. And it's something that this type of video series or yeah, like Alan tutorial uh, can do really well Mm. and i think it's it's very very cool i like it um there's also like once again the i think people are just really scared of their video games talking to them Mm. (laughs) because there's moments where the game entities in the game kind of speak to the player and yeah it is legitimately spooky and if you played metal gear solid back in the day you were definitely spooked out the first time that psycho mantis talked to you sure um yeah, I, I, I like fourth wall breaking freakouts when they're done well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I like this whole subgenre of... I don't even know what to call it. I guess just like horror stories, you know? I think that it plays on a lot of fears that everybody has, but also stuff that people who are, you know of a certain age kind of remember experiencing for the first time Mm -hmm. and just being like, Oh, that was really scary. You know, my only problem with this, these games that don't exist is that they don't exist. I want to, I want to play Petscom, but, and I want to play the haunted Nintendo cart. (laughs) You know, I'm with you, but I also think that the cool thing about them not existing is that, the authors can make scares and can create an experience that you couldn't create otherwise. Sure. You know? Yeah. Or if it was as linear as a video, it might not actually be fun to play. Mm-hmm. But because it's a video, they can, you know, only the things that they uh, plotted can happen. Sure. The other thing I think that's interesting about it is, you know, people watch video games so much that it's kind of only natural that people are going to design video games that you can't play, you can only watch. So, here's the thing. I keep thinking about Yume Nikki, and I feel uh-huh. like Yume Nikki is a game that doesn't exist, but it exists. Yeah, totally. I think that's very true. I mean, Yume Nikki is kind of like the king of all these because it does exist, mm. and it's designed to give you the same kind of experience so you are right if if something like this is real and actually turned into a game and done well it is better for yeah. sure put that in your pipe that doesn't exist and smoke it magritte <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i definitely think too though that this these type of stories are cool because i'm assuming that none of these people actually have the time or resources or whatever to actually make these games right totally so it's like at least we got the experience from them that 
they wanted to deliver to us. But yeah, like, Yume Nikki is better than all these because it's a real game. <laughs> but Petscop looks like it. I mean, Petscop is so convincing as a game. Like, did he make the animations in like a game making software engine and then screen record it or something? Like, yeah. Yeah. It is a good question. I'm actually not sure. But yeah, it feels like it could be turned into a real game. I know what you mean. Because it almost feels like, you know, with the animations and everything, it's, that it seems like it would take forever to make too. So, like, you might as well make it a game almost. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But at the same time, it's like so much more goes into designing, like, the playing side of it. Sure. Yeah. That you still don't have to do all that and it's almost pure like visuals and plotting mm-hmm. you know yeah there are definitely games that are made that way that are terrible it's just interesting like because you could tell petscop took forever for sure and that's a it's a lot of time if you add up the runtime of all the videos it's pretty long it's like a feature but you know definitely check it out it's super cool I think, you know, everything on this list is kind of like the cream of the crop. There's definitely other stuff and there's other things in this style, but these are the ones that actually kind of made me get really obsessive and start digging into it, you know? So yeah, let us know, gamers. Are there any other games that don't exist that we should know about? Yeah. What did we miss? Because I know we missed something. Sure. Yeah. And I want more. I like these games that don't exist. (laughs) You don't have to play them either. Yeah, sometimes I really don't feel like playing anything. <laughs> so these are just right up my alley. Perfect. So we um, should we do a game club of games that don't exist? <laughs> <laughs> don't play anything this week. Yeah, what are we not playing next? <laughs>